Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Boomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear their experience or visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising. Too often, people with disabilities are only seen as beneficiaries and not seen as the leaders, the creators, the agents of change. And I think that's a mindset shift that we all need to make. Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Feather. Today is a two-part series where I'm interviewing Margot Joffe. Margot is the founder of Kaleidoscope Society for Women with ADHD and a certified accessibility professional helping companies create more inclusive workplaces and products for people with disabilities. Most recently, Margot led disability inclusion strategy for Verizon's corporate social responsibility team. She helped launch Verizon's first disability advisory board, as well as the Disability Coalition, a landmark partnership with Getty Images and the National Disability Leadership Alliance to improve disability representation in the media. She is certified in mental health first aid and led the launch of the technology industry's first neurodiversity employee resource group at Yahoo. In this conversation, part two of this two-part series, Margot and I are taking a closer look at how or whether funders accommodate the full spectrum of disabilities on behalf of the grant seekers they serve and how this supports or harms nonprofits. Margot helps us take a deep dive into how to be intentional about opening up the funding process by building better systems and accessibility practices. She covers important measures that any funder can undertake to improve accessibility and the end-to-end grant application experience. You'll come away from this conversation with actionable ideas for making inclusion a baseline feature of your grant-making process and a framework for meaningful collaboration at every stage of the fundraising and funding journey. So let's dive in so you can meet Margot. Welcome back, everyone, to part two with Margot Joffe. Margot, thank you for joining me for this exciting conversation. Yes, we had so much to talk about. We made it into two parts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and I'm really excited to dive into the funding side of things because we talked a lot about what fundraisers and organizations can do to support neurodivergence, but One of the things that struck me in our very first conversation was around the ways that funding in particular, the way it's given and granted, and the process to have it awarded are not set up in accessible ways. And so before we dive into that and get more specific, can we talk a little bit first about the overarching diversity and inclusion conversation and the role that people with disabilities need to be occupying or the consciousness around their needs need to be a part of that conversation that they've been oftentimes left out of? 
Yes. And I love that you're making space on your podcast to get into this topic of accessibility in the process of even accessing and getting funds. So disability has oftentimes been left out of the broader diversity and inclusion conversation. And there's this idea that disability, it's too niche, which doesn't make any sense to me because there's over a billion people in the world who live with some type of disability. And in the United States, 61 million Americans, one in three U.S. households have at least one family member with a disability. So this is not a niche topic. People with disabilities, it's a large and valuable segment of our communities, of our customers in the world all around us. And so accessibility, it's not a luxury. It's not an exercise of charity. It's not just let's check the box for compliance. Thinking about accessibility is essential for all organizations when they're thinking about their products, their services, how they are interfacing with the public, with their customers. And so accessibility is making sure something is accessible and usable for everyone, including people with disabilities. That means people that are deaf or hard of hearing, blind or low vision, people that have mobility impairments, if they're wheelchair users, or they have cognitive disabilities, neurodivergent conditions. Disability is also very diverse. There's many different types of disabilities. Some are apparent, some are non-apparent, and disability can be acquired at any point in your life. You can be born with a disability or you can acquire a disability. It's a natural part of the human experience. Hmm. Can we double click on for one second, the invisibleness of a lot of disabilities and the additional burden that often places on people with disabilities and why it's so important in this conversation, what we're talking about, why it's so important that funders take the lead on thinking about accessibility in their granting and their funding. Yeah. So growing up, we didn't see a lot of representation in the media. Most of us didn't really get education around disability and accessibility in school. And so we just had very limited understanding unless we had direct experiences with people in our life. Most people, when you think disability, you may think of someone who uses a wheelchair and people may not often think about that there's so many disabilities that may be non-visible or non-apparent, not obvious upon first glance. And so it's always important not to assume that someone has or doesn't have a disability because there's many disabilities, whether it's a learning disability or a chronic illness, mental health condition, things that may not be physically apparent. And it's really important for funders to think about accessibility in the process, thinking about what is kind of the user experience every step of the way for your grantees to be applying for funds, what kind of reporting do they need to do and how frequent? Because a lot of times now everything is digital. There's these digital systems that people have to log into, enter in information. And so we need to make sure that things are accessible from a digital perspective. The cool thing about technology, it can be a huge enabler. And technology has created so much more access for people with disabilities. Nowadays, most operating systems come with built-in screen reader software. For example, if you have, I use Apple, I have an iPhone, and it comes with voiceover. 
which is a built-in screen reader software. So if someone's blind, visually impaired, or even people that are dyslexic or have some other type of learning disability, use screen reader software. So it will read you the screen. And so for that, it's important to make sure that you have alt text on your images which describes what the image is, that your buttons are labeled. So people are non-sighted and they're navigating your website. They know what the button says. So they know what buttons to click basically. So they need to be able to navigate and understand the digital content on your website with a screen reader. If you have videos, make sure that they're captioned, not only for people that are deaf or hard of hearing, but also for people where English is not their first language. It can really help with comprehension. Also people who may have auditory processing disorders or even people with ADHD, captions can really help with comprehension of auditory content that's on a video. Same thing with podcasts. Transcripts can be very helpful to make it accessible. You said something, I don't know if this relates at all to neurodivergence, but I'm thinking about all of the elements of funding, grant writing, getting funds approved, and then ultimately managing being awarded and all the steps of the process. And we can talk about some of those sequencing pieces in particular or things that funders might be able to do to help with sort of prompting and things like that. I'm also wondering about word count. So one of the things that drove me insane as a fundraiser was when you had to make a really compelling case around something, an organization that perhaps a funder didn't already know about in 250 characters, not even words, or 100 characters. And that always felt like it brought me to my knees. And I'm curious what you think, how word count may or may not relate to accessibility. Flexibility is a principle that can help support accessibility. And so if people need alternate formats or alternate ways to express or communicate, if you have the ability to provide flexibility around that, that may be helpful. And that could also look like having an office hours if people have questions about the application they're stuck. They don't understand the word of a question, or maybe there is that character count limit. And so they're not sure, like, what is the important information that you really need to know here? And this is just one example of an idea of like having an office hours where you can answer questions. And then once you know what those FAQs are, you can either then go and iterate and revise your templates accordingly, or have an FAQs on your website so people can find the answers to their questions. Coming from tech, we talk a lot about finding and removing friction in the user experience to make it more intuitive, to make it more understandable. And those same principles can be applied with any process where you have a digital process where people have to make an application and input information. How can we make it more intuitive? How can we create avenues for people to give feedback about areas they're confused about? So then we can try and clear up the confusion and make it more clear. Reducing the steps. So from a cognitive accessibility standpoint, I'll share a story. In a previous role, I had the opportunity, I was working in a corporate social responsibility team at a major corporation and had the amazing opportunity to be on the other side of having funding to give to disability organizations. And one of the things that was top of mind for me coming into that role was our third party grant software. So we had a third party software that we used in terms of where people could apply for funding and where we could administer the grant funding. And it also had the reporting and analytics built in. 
And so to quote Jenny Leifleury, who's the chief accessibility officer at Microsoft, she said, if you don't know if your website is accessible, it's not because in the past accessibility hasn't been a standard practice. And so the accessibility professionals were trying to get it be the default versus the exception. But anyways, I asked our tech person if he could make me a user account so that I could go through the process as a grantee and see what the user experience is from that perspective and kind of just go through the flow from even account creation, creating the account, logging in, what are all the steps and take a look at it through the lens of accessibility. Is it understandable? Is it intuitive? But also from an accessibility standpoint, are there any potential accessibility issues that we might want to look at updating or fixing? And I felt that that was a very good use of time because I stumbled across things that it wasn't even from an accessibility perspective, but it was asking them for a grant code they had to enter. And I didn't even know what that code was. And then I had to go and ask. And so I was able to just uncover things in the process. And so then when I was working with the grantees, I was able to give them a less than one page bullets of here's what you need to know when you go through this. And I was trying to make it as seamless as possible for them. And I said, you know, when you get to step four, they're going to ask you for the code. This is the code you need to put in for this grant. I think that was helpful for them. It was also helpful for me because it eliminated so many back and forth emails that were going to be coming when they started <laughs> running into these questions. And I think for me, I'm just also more sensitive to this being someone with ADHD, where sometimes these administrative, when you have to go and do these applications, whether it's when I go to submit insurance claims, when I have to do paperwork of any type, anytime I encounter any type of archaic frustrating, like expense reporting. And in a previous job, I remember I used to struggle with the expense reporting software we had. It was challenging for everyone, but for those of us with ADHD or any type of like learning disability, it's more than an annoyance. It can be painful. It can be such a struggle. And I remember I used to get in trouble for my expense reports being late, but I was a high performer in all other areas and I got great reviews, but then my expense reports were always late and it was so embarrassing. So I just thinking about how can you make the process simple, intuitive, remove the barriers and just review the process with fresh eyes. Cause sometimes it's just because something got grandfathered in, but you know, having someone on your team really going through the process and seeing, do we really even need all this information? Do we really need to have 20 mm -hmm. steps? Can it be 10 steps? And just being sensitive to the fact that a lot of these grantees, nonprofit organizations, they're trying to do the most with very little. They don't have big teams. And so if you do work for a large foundation or a corporation that has a, a foundation arm and you are in a resource-rich environment, keeping that in mind when you're working with these small organizations that are seeking funding, trying not to make it so time-consuming because all the time and labor they're putting into the application and the reporting, it's taking away from the time that they could actually be spending doing the work of their mission of their organization. Just something to keep in mind and be be sensitive about and be thoughtful about. Yeah, there's something that you were saying in there that I just think is so important, which is for funders who are listening to this, if there's a step of your process that is commonly missed, whether it's a particular reporting deadline or some type of data feedback loop, that to me is like a flag of something to dig into around as well. In addition to going through exactly, as you said, the user experience and maybe inviting one of your grantees or finding a consultant or an advocate who can look through the eyes of accessibility if you don't have that internally, but then also having sort of consistent checks around when things are not happening, how can you make the action 
action easier to do? Because I'm sure on the foundation or the grant making side, there's some internal language around like they get this money from us and then they never do blank or then they always forget this. And I think there often isn't this mirror back around how difficult is that thing? Did they need to remember four codes and a password? I mean, thank goodness for Google Chrome and LastPass. They've truly changed my life. LastPass changed my life. I long time, (laughs) long time LastPass lover. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And there used to be a me too with LastPass, but I remember like back in the day, or maybe this was even pre LastPass, like there were certain grant portals that were really hard to save in tech solutions like that because of how they were read by the software and things like that. And so they're just all these things and to ask funders to really hold a mirror up to their systems and processes and look at where there are these drop points and figure out how they can make that easier, more accessible. I think it's just such important advice. So I really appreciate all of that. Yeah. You said something great, which is if you need help with this, hire an accessibility consultant. There's industry standard guidelines out there about accessibility. This isn't something you need to figure out. The web content accessibility guidelines, otherwise referred to as WCAG, right now it's 2.1 and there's different levels of conformance, A, AA, AAA, but there's organizations like Nobility, Levant Consulting. There's many accessibility consultants and organizations out there that they can simply go and log in and review your system and then give you recommendations on how you can update it to make it more accessible so that anyone with a disability and just anyone in general can use it. And this is really important because I think too often people with disabilities are only seen as beneficiaries and not seen as the leaders, the creators, the agents of change. And I think that's a mindset shift that we all need to make when we think about disability and people with disabilities, not only thinking about them in the box of, oh, well, these are the people we're helping. These are the beneficiaries of the organization, but actually understanding that people with disabilities are also working in our companies. They're working in organizations, they're leading, they're visionaries. And so we need to make sure that the people with disabilities that are working within these nonprofits or organizations are able to use these systems and submit the applications just like everyone else. Yes. You mentioned this in part one a little bit around how do we ensure inside a sector like the nonprofit sector that our outsides match our insides, that the things that we say we care about and the values that we hold and the issues that we're working on, we're also integrating that into the process and operations and systems inside the sector itself. And if this sector wants to be a sector that not only has hundreds of thousands of organizations working on different disability issues across the world, but also wants to be a sector that supports the leadership of and participation of people with disabilities, then leadership in this area is really important from the funding community. First, T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First T of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First T of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. Definitely. 
And if you have an organization that is giving the funds, making sure that accessibility is something that is prioritized, especially in your procurement process and requirements, when you are procuring a third party Mm -hmm. fundraising or grant making software that you're going to use for your organization, making sure that accessibility, just like security and data privacy, making sure that that is a requirement at the top of the list, because that is going to continue to incentivize vendors to prioritize it as well. And there's this amazing initiative actually called Procure Access, where a lot of the leading tech companies have come together with a call to action around making sure accessibility is prioritized in the procurement process. If you're working at a large fund or foundation, you have the money and making sure if you're procuring third-party technology that it's accessible and bringing in a consultant if you need support with verifying that. And also just don't take someone's word if they say, oh, yes, our stuff is accessible because sometimes they say that and then it's not. You have to trust but verify. And then if you are listening to this podcast and you are a vendor that makes this type of software, prioritize accessibility because it's the future. More and more companies are prioritizing it. More and more companies are asking about accessibility of digital platforms. And so it's the future. So it's better to be proactive versus reactive. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that we could do a whole third segment on nonprofit technology. But I think so much about fundraiser enablement and the fact that there's so many different systems and tech solutions and processes that sort of touch the fundraiser or the fundraiser touches. And each of them has their own user experience issues, whether they are archaic grant application systems or relationship management software, contact management software that's really geared towards the donor experience, not the fundraiser's use of it. There's so many different elements to this. And I think the more and more we are thinking about accessibility across the platform, inside the platform, that is really going to lead to, in my opinion, watershed moments in terms of moving money into this sector, because we have long talked about unlocking generosity being about unlocking donors. And I think it's about unlocking fundraisers that Mm. giving is a response behavior and fundraisers in order to enable and support them to be prompting in the right ways and inviting donors more and more into the fabric of their organizations and their communities, if we can actually make that more accessible and make that more user-friendly, I think the downstream impact is tremendous. So thank you for adding that in there. I don't know if this is like relevant at all, but something that we see a lot in ADHD community is a lot of people struggle with filing their taxes. And a lot of people with ADHD Mm. leave like a lot of money on the table when it comes to even their personal life. I had one woman who we worked with in our ADHD program. She had several thousands of dollars that she was entitled to for medical reimbursements for claims that she had to submit. But the process to all the paperwork required to submit the claims, she hadn't done it. And she was at a point where she was like the amount of headache and work and time it's going to take me to do these claims, I don't even want to do it, even though I know that there's several thousand dollars that I could get back because it just felt Mm. so overwhelming and inaccessible to her. It just really came to mind thinking about sometimes these processes and all the hoops people have to jump through just to access a reimbursement Mm. or access money or access a grant. I personally heard about a grant Someone sent me that it was a $5,000 grant and it fit what my business was doing. And so then I went on to 
look at the application. I was like, no, because the amount of time I'm going to have to spend even figuring this out and submitting this application, it's not even worth $5,000 to me. I have had similar experiences. I think there are a lot of things that come to play in those moments. And I think the question that you asked earlier is really the important one, which is like having that moment of self-reflection around, is this really needed? Like we're asked a lot to think about the minimal viable product. And I would push back on Mm -hmm. funders to think about what's the minimal viable information that you could ask for that would give you the answers that you need to make a decision. And I would start with that. And if then you get in a position where you're struggling to decide at that point between two institutions, you can always ask follow-up questions later. But for the first gate to be so complicated and such a barrier, it feels frankly like disrespectful to me. And then to tie that level of hoops, those hoops to small dollar amounts feels like it further devalues nonprofit leaders' time. Like yes. if, if a $5,000 grant requires an organization 40 hours, 100 hours of work before the work of the program that the grant is actually going through, that just speaks to a much like a toxic element in the sector as a whole. Yeah, even for entrepreneurs or small business owners, because the grant that I was looking at was for small business owners. And it was like going to require, I don't know how many hours, because now I can't remember. Hello, impaired working memory, ADHD. But (laughs) (laughs) it felt like it was going to be so much time. I was like, it's not even worth. It's not a guaranteed 5K. It's a potential who knows how many people are going to apply and what are the even the chances that I'm going to get this funding. Exactly. And so I think there's a lot of work to be done. But I think even in nonprofit leaders, having awareness, like I think you and I both have an awareness around our ADHD and what we need to thrive and what we need to feel and what's going to be too many hoops for us. So we can make those decisions when we first get to that page. Something that used to happen to me a lot before I really had more of a handle on my ADHD and understood more about it, I would get to the page I would start and then I would hit my barriers, but I would have felt like I already invested so much time. Then there was the sunk cost that I didn't want to let go of and I would keep going. And so for nonprofit leaders or fundraisers who are hearing this, like there is some evaluation that you all also need to do at the very beginning around the whole process to really make a decision. And then for funders, I think you need to think critically about the reason why you have so many hoops. And if they're necessary, because what you're actually trying to do is limit the amount of people who actually apply, there are other more accessible ways to do that. So I think we need to be honest about why we have all those hoops in place in the first place and figure out ways to fix this dynamic. Well, this has been so wonderful. I am so grateful for all of your time and our ability to do this two-part series. So thank you for everything that you do. Where should people go to find you, to learn more about your work, to connect with you? Anyone that wants to learn more, I have information about me on margojoffe.com and I welcome you to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Now that Twitter fired their whole accessibility team, I'm doing more of my professional updates on LinkedIn. So I welcome anyone to connect with me on there. I also co-founded and co-facilitate a program for adults with ADHD who are looking to learn more about their ADHD and work with it more effectively 
in their career. So if you're interested in learning more about that program, you can head to thegreatadhdreset.com. All the information is there on the webpage. Amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation and for all the work that you do. I'm so grateful. Thank you. This was so much fun. Even though I'm not an expert on fundraising, it was fun to talk about all the fundraising adjacent topics, accessibility, ADHD, and everything in between. So thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Okay, there is so much inside this episode that I want to highlight, but I'm actually going to focus on the piece here that I think is the most important, how the grant application process can be made more inclusive. Here are some of the things that Margot outlines. Provide office hours and robust FAQs to help nonprofits get the feedback and insight they need. Number two, create avenues for feedback and adjust templates accordingly. Number three, reduce the number of steps required to complete the process. Number four, run internal checks to experience firsthand whether the process is manageable and intuitive or not. Put together cheat sheets that anticipate challenges step-by-step and provide helpful hints to navigate them. And if you notice that many people drop off at certain stages in the process or are having trouble with a particular feedback loop, Look at the accessibility of the system itself and see how you can make it more inclusive. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Margo and our amazing sponsors, Feather. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I'm so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.